Hello again, church. Please open with me to the book of Ruth. We're going to read together Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that, that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a, a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you again for this beautiful little book. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the fullness of this day, of the gathering of your people, and for the, the good that it does in our lives and how you build your church through it. And so we pray again that you would increase our faith as we come to your word and ha let it have great meaning in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The <clears throat> 2010 movie... Leap Year tells the story of a fictional character, Anna Brady, an Irish-American woman who has been waiting years and years for her boyfriend to propose. 
Now, I've been married for almost a decade, so the romantic um, comedy has become a, a staple now of my existence. She's been waiting forever for her boyfriend to propose, and when he takes a, a business trip to Ireland, Anna remembers an old Irish tradition that allows for the woman to propose to her boyfriend on uh, February 29th during a leap year, this one day every four years. And so with that window fast approaching, she follows him to Ireland to make her proposal. And of course, in the movie, things go wrong and she finds herself in a race against time in the country, traveling across Ireland, trying to execute her plan. Now, it shows how much time has changed in, in the last decade or so. I'm not sure if that movie would be quite palatable, the idea that there's only one day every four years that a, a woman can propose. But nevertheless, even now, it is still generally accepted that men do the proposing. That's not what we see, I believe, in the story of Boaz and Ruth. It seems that, like in the movie Leap Year, so in ancient Israel there was a tradition, a law that allowed for a woman to request marriage from a man, if that man was a kinsman redeemer. I believe that's what we see going on in Ruth chapter 3. We touched on this idea last time out, one of the, the many or that the number of redeemer responsibilities was to step in and to marry a brother's widow in order to ensure that the land would not pass from the family and to provide an heir so that your brother's name would not um, cease to continue. This is what a, a redeemer would do. Naomi's husbands and sons have died in the land of Moab, leaving her without prospects of an heir. Now she herself is too old to bear children. And so she wants to return to Bethlehem. She wants to return in the state of destitution. And she returns believing she has no hope. But Ruth refuses to return to her own home and her own people and has committed herself to Naomi and to Naomi's God. And so she returns to Bethlehem with her, but seemingly as well without any prospects. We saw in chapter 2, one day Ruth decides to go out into the fields to, to glean in the fields during the harvest time, and she meets a man, a noble man, the, the author tells us, who just happens to be a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. This is an important detail because this makes Boaz a redeemer. But even as we understand this, we should keep in mind that these obligations didn't tend to hold much sway in the time of the judges. And Boaz is a lot more distant than a brother of the deceased. While Boaz shows Ruth kindness, he tells her to remain in the safety of his field. But as chapter 2 comes to an end, the harvest season is coming to an end with it. And we see Naomi wanting more for Ruth than just gleanings. And so she has a plan. And Ruth chapter 3 is very, very interesting. Naomi's plans definitely raise eyebrows and prove the point that not everything described in the Bible is prescribed in the Bible. It's a risky and a bold plan and is not to be repeated by any of our young people. When you're looking for a, a viable suitor, you don't sneak into their room at night and uncover their feet and lie down. Whatever we make of the plan, I made the case and I believe that the author wants us to see the faith of these women. 
So in chapter 3, what we've been doing is we've been looking at facets of faith that this story reveals. And last time out, we saw the first two facets of faith, that faith is intentional and faith is vulnerable. The plan that they make that Naomi comes up with is bold and it is risky, but it is a plan that is bred out of faith in Yahweh's provision and in the character of Boaz. That Boaz is not going to take advantage, that he will treat her well and do what is right. And we see Ruth who has abandoned all other securities and she goes out on a limb because she trusts herself into the care of her God. And as we saw, we are called to faith like that, to venture out trusting God on the basis of His Word to us. Because it is not uncommon to find Christians who are stagnant, who are living life safe with things under control, spending their lives, as it were, in the waiting room instead of planning and dreaming for the kingdom of God. They won't step out in faith they won't step out unless they know that things are mapped out for them. The implications and the eventualities of their actions confirmed. They want guarantees before they can trust. Alistair Begg says they're so afraid of making mistakes that they never make anything. They're so afraid of going in the wrong direction that they go in no direction. And God calls us to trust Him and to try something to get to work, to seek first His kingdom, trusting that even though we don't know the details, that one way or another all these things will be added as well. Hudson Taylor said, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. And so we left off last week in this moment of vulnerability Boaz awakens and there's a woman laying at his feet. And so a conversation now will ensue. And the question for this week is, what will Boaz make of this plan? What will happen to Ruth here in the dark? And what will we learn about faith in the rest of this chapter? We're going to look, quickly look at three more facets of faith in the story tonight. And we'll just let them unfold with the story. Boaz, at first, is quite naturally startled. Who are you, he says, into the darkness. And Ruth says, it's Ruth, your servant. Now remember what Naomi had told Ruth to do. She said, lie down at his feet and wait for him to tell you what to do. But I, I don't think Ruth follows that exactly. She doesn't wait. I believe she shows uh, boldness greater even than Naomi's instructions in this passage. She comes right out with her proposal. Spread your covering over me, for you are a redeemer. And this is why I say this is a, an ancient marriage proposal. We see in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, that this seems to be an idiom. The spreading the corner of the garment over a young woman seems to mean to, to marry her. It's an idiom that God uses in relationship to Israel. Ezekiel 16, 8. When I passed, you, passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became Mine. You see the picture? Secondly as well, what Ruth 
says to Boaz ought to bring something to mind from chapter 2. Do you remember? Boaz has allowed in chapter 2 Ruth to glean in his fields unrestricted. It's a blessing that he gives to her because of her kindness to, to Naomi committing herself to Naomi and, and coming out boldly to try and provide for Naomi by, by gleaning in the fields. But then he calls this blessing over Ruth from the Lord in chapter 2, verse 12. And what does Boaz say? He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And here's the thing. It's why the ESV translates, even in chapter 3, translates the corner of the garment as wing. It's the same Hebrew word. The word for wing and the word for the edge of the garment, is, it's the same Hebrew word. And I believe this is brilliant, what Ruth is doing here. She's taking Boaz's own words and laying them back down before Boaz, saying, yes, I believe that God has provided, he has provided in you. She's turned his words around on him. Christopher Ash in his commentary says, Ruth is now asking Boaz to be the flesh and blood incarnation of the redemption she seeks from the covenant God. She is asking Boaz to marry her, to raise up through her an heir to continue the line of Elimelech on behalf of Naomi and also on behalf of Mahlon, her own dead husband. This plea is... Ash says, the most direct and daring expression of faith in the whole book. Ruth is calling in the covenant promises and asking Boaz to honor them, not just by generous gleanings, but by marriage. You are the one who can save us, she is saying. If you'll accept the responsibility of Redeemer, I've trusted Yahweh and he has led me to you. And you are a man I believe will act in covenant faithfulness towards me. And so we see here the, the first for tonight, the third facet of faith in this passage, that faith is grounded in covenant promises. Our faith is grounded in covenant promises. The story is often told as if it is the, the prospect of marrying this beautiful young woman that draws Boaz's interest. But the truth is we know nothing of that kind of attraction in the story. It's not what the author cares about at all. In fact, in chapter 4, when this other redeemer hears that Ruth is part of the package, it's at that point that he backs out. So there's got to be some kind of sacrifice uh, from what Boaz would have to do in, in, in answering what Ruth is asking and providing an heir for Naomi. And here Ruth does not appeal to the grounds of her own attractiveness. She doesn't appeal to the grounds of her own desirability to Boaz. She appeals on these grounds alone, the covenant promises of God. You are a redeemer. You are an honorable man and I, I need you to redeem. That's what she said. Faith is grounded in covenant promises. Faith is a conscious decision to trust what God has promised to do. We don't come before the throne of God because we have confidence in how faithful we have been. We come in faith because we have a great high priest who will never fail to fulfill his promises. 
And when we are tempted to doubt because of our sin and our circumstance, faith in Christ calls upon the promises to which God himself has committed himself in Christ. Faith says this, you promised to be my redeemer. Now do what you promised. And that's not impudence. That's a boldness that honors the faithfulness of God. It says, I'm not looking at the strength or my own strength. I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at my goodness. I'm looking at you. This is the intimacy and the confidence we have that has nothing to do with what we deserve. I don't deserve a single good thing from you, God. But I trust that in you I will find always the safety that my soul needs. I trust that I will never, ever be disappointed by you. And that you will satisfy me eternally with your goodness and your presence. That's what we say in faith. And so how will this potential Redeemer respond? Verse 10, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. He had commended Ruth in chapter 2 for her kindness, and he commends her again for her kindness. And this kindness he's talking about is not a, a kindness to Boaz, it, it is a kindness to to Naomi. Now, while we pick up Ruth's admiration for the character of Boaz, this story again says nothing of her interest or whatever her interest might be in him romantically. Boaz is saying you could have unhitched yourself from Naomi and pursued younger men, whether rich or poor, but she has kept herself available for, to raise up an heir for Naomi. She's been faithful to her mother-in-law. In many ways, the book of Ruth is not, it's not a giddy love story about Boaz and Ruth. It's a story of the faithfulness of God's people to one another. This is a story, a love story of Ruth and Naomi. In all of this, Ruth is acting out her own covenant faithfulness to the God of Israel. And it, yes, it isn't our faithfulness that gives confidence for faith, but our faith does lead to faithfulness, doesn't it? Faith in the, the ability of Christ to fulfill His promises, to satisfy, to be all that He says He will be, that leads to a living set free for sacrificial laying down of our lives for the blessing of others. We learn this in Ruth. Verse 11, Boaz continues, And now, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This is the first hint of any kind of attraction that we see. We don't know if there's any physical attraction, but Boaz sees in Ruth the worthy woman of Proverbs 20, uh, 31. It is the, the same word, actually. And his words are clear. They are simple. They are words that centuries later others will hear from the lips of a greater Redeemer. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Second, tonight, the second um, facet of faith is this, and that is that faith is effective. Faith is effective. When faith calls in the covenant promises of God, it is always effective. Christ, our Redeemer, hesitates no more than Boaz did. 
I, I love the story in Mark chapter 1. One of my favorite stories, a, a leper is approaching Jesus. And you can imagine, probably with much trepidation, lepers didn't approach people in those days. Maybe he's looking for hidden stones. If you were a leper, you were, you were supposed to call out in the streets, unclean, unclean, so that people could avoid you. And he comes and he falls at Christ's feet and he says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. And what happens in that story? But first Christ reaches out and touches him and then says, I am willing, be clean. I am willing. That is his unhesitating response to us. It's his heart for us. The other day, we, uh, I got steers for our family, and they've got this uh, family sharing special. And I get to the, get to the place, and, and I see you, if you pay a little bit extra, you get four milkshakes with the deal. And I don't want to pay extra for the milkshakes. I don't care about the milkshakes, but I just imagine the joy in my children's eyes if I come home with the milkshakes. They won't care about the burgers or the chips anymore. They'll just want the milkshakes and so I find myself doing what I don't want to do, and that's pay extra for the milkshakes. Now, I'm not saying that you know, faith is effectively squeezing whatever we want out of God. That's not what faith is. But what I am saying is that his heart is so much more loving, so much more pure than my heart is for my own children. He delights in the prayer of faith. He delights to give what is good to us. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Believers, that promise alone should result in no fear in our lives. And yet, why are we so quick to be afraid all the time? Now, Boaz will introduce a shock to the reader. There's another Redeemer. Imagine reading the story for the first time. But even here, he reassures her in verses 12 and 13. He says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is another nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will not redeem you, or if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. Boaz will do all things in a righteous way. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Lie down until the morning. Just as an aside, do you remember what the main word of chapter 1 was? A pop quiz. Don't make me start again in this book. What was the main word? It was the word shuv in the Hebrew, return. We see that word again and again and again in chapter 1. Well, the main word of chapter 3 is shakav. Lie down. It, it appears a number of times. And in the beginning of the story, it, it appears first to raise your eyebrows with the air of possibility of something untowards and indecent. But here at the culmination, it, it is a beautiful promise. Trust me, Boaz is saying, lie down, rest. I will take care of it. And in Boaz's words, we hear the words of love that are spoken to us by our Redeemer. Rest. I have done all to redeem you. I will do all to see you safely home. 
I will not fail. I will not let you down. Forever you are mine. And so we sing here, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. It is the story of our lives. So Ruth lies there till early morning. And she leaves before anyone can be aware that she's even been there at all. Boaz sends her home with this gift, another gift of barley for Naomi. He says, you mustn't go back empty-handed. Another reminder to Naomi, Naomi, your name is not Mara. It is not bitter. Your name is Naomi. Life is not as empty as you thought. And as we come to the end of chapter 3, again, there's another tension. The tension again of waiting. Another question. What's going to happen tomorrow with this other Redeemer? And so Naomi says in verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And in this we see finally the last facet of faith, that faith involves waiting. They are still even with the promises, Romans 8.32, even with those promises, there are still going to be many days where you can't understand what is happening in your life. You can't see what God is doing, and your faith will be tested again. Days where you are simply told to wait and to sit tight. Faith rests in a work completed, but it also reaches out to claim a future redemption as well. And so we are always, as believers, living in the already not yet tension, the tension that is at the heart of the story of Ruth. Wait to find out what will happen. And even that waiting is given for our good. For in it we are forced to rest upon the character of our Redeemer. Every minute of waiting in this life will result in greater glory. It is more for our good, the chance to rest and wait in Him. Even this is a blessing. And there are going to be days where all you can do is lift up your eyes and hope and cry out as we sing, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word I will rely. And while we wait, we know that risk-taking, vulnerable, promise-clinging faith will never be disappointed and it will never put us to shame. Let's pray. God, your word to us abounds with promises. Promises for every moment of every day. Promises that ought to overshadow our doubts and our struggles and our worries, our fears and anxieties. Promises that are larger than the worst imaginable happening in our lives. And so God, we pray simply tonight that you would help us to cling to your promise, that you would give us a faith that is vulnerable and risk-taking. Help us to step out to, to step out on a limb and to dream and to hope that you would use our lives for your glory and for the, the building of your kingdom. Give us a faith that is willing to wait and even in those times of waiting rejoices in being able to, to be drawn near to your heart. We thank you for the gift of waiting. And Lord, we thank you that our faith is effective. 
We thank you that we can come before your throne boldly and confidently, not doubting your love to us because of Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, who is faithful forever and holds us forever. Amen.